0: What would you do if you woke up and suddenly had hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank? Meet Benson Heitner, a Canadian businessman and philanthropist who put in the work and sold his business for many hundreds of millions of dollars not too long ago. Since then, he's given millions away to charities across the world. He's lived in New Zealand, Australia, London, and has been in Toronto since 1981. Oh, and he married a girl from Austria for good measure. You'll notice his unique accent as a world traveler. Mr. Heitner opened up his home. He shared what inspires him, as well as the challenges he faces in the relatively unique position he's in. He gives so much of his money away, which makes him the perfect person to speak to about how to give charity, the connections he makes along the way, why he gives money away, and where he gives money. He also dropped valuable advice for those who want to create a successful business. There are lots of gems in here. From Toronto, coming to you almost live, Kosher Money, enjoy. Being a Jew, awesome. Managing personal finances, not so awesome. Welcome to Kosher Money. Growing up, did you have accounting aspirations? Was it a straight shot into finance? What was
1: that all about? No, on the contrary. um, My father was a classic schmatter industry person. He had, um, it's interesting, in New Zealand, the betochen my father had, he had a business. He started sort of selling clothes, and then he got into a coffee shop, which um, for the children, the family, packed up and started again in Australia, which, you know, when you think about leaving Vienna, coming to New Zealand hard enough, and coming to Australia and doing that for the family, he was a businessman at heart. The garment industry sort of interested me and um, in sort of one of, the, one of the accounts of mine in Toronto was actually Sandy Hofstetter. He once commented to me that uh, you're not an accountant, you're a businessman. I don't know if I was a lousy accountant, but uh, I appreciate his comments sort of pushed me into, um, into business. And the first business was actually in the garment industry, which didn't succeed like a lot of things in life, and uh, thank God after that I started in 90, end of 1992, um, Cambridge Mercantile, which, um, together with the Uncle Feldman, and then at the end of 2007, middle of 2017, we ended up selling it for a large amount of money. Ended up having offices, foreign exchange company having offices around the world, across Canada, across US, huge office in London, England, Europe, Australia offices in Sydney and Melbourne and um, became a very, very successful business, which today has continued to exist and grow. Let's go back to the garment
0: business. What was failure like? Did it set you back? Was that
1: depressing or were you thinking this didn't work, but I'll move on to the next thing? I always um, believe that it's not successes which define successful people but it's really how you handle failures. I don't know, I, maybe it was my nature. I never lost sleep. I had betofen. Didn't happen. Start and try to do something else. Um, I, uh, I never saw it as a challenge. I think any real businessman will really tell you that you go from failure to failure, and in the odd deals in between, you succeed. Success is not like a, uh, XY graph with a line going at 45 degrees it's like a random walk and uh, overcoming challenges constantly and in the end somehow you end up succeeding a good businessman focuses on the successes and not the failures and learns from the failures that day in 2017
0: or the day after you sold the business what was going through your mind thank
1: god uh, I, we breathe a sigh a sigh of relief because it was a it was a substantial company it was a substantial process and selling the business, Um, nearly every large private equity firm and uh, financial institution was competing to acquire the company. So it took a long procedure since the time we hired the investment banker till the point where we actually sold it was like nearly two years. So it was a very lengthy process. And a lot of people ask me, you know, do you regret having sold? It was a very, very complex business with a lot of risks regulatory risk, compliance risk, credit risk, bank risk. At any time, if it would have been one wire from a terrorist gone into my bank account, bank accounts could have been frozen with huge amounts of money and the business would be wiped out. So it wasn't a type of business that you say, build it and give it over to your children. It was so high risk. It's that both Jacques and I, the uncle and I felt that uh, it wasn't a type of business you, you wanted to make as much money as possible and continue on with your life and uh, continue the next phase and being able to help your children um, establish themselves. Do you have any other regrets? Would you have done anything differently now that you look back or are you completely content with? My only regrets is that um, Toronto is so far north, can't be moved down closer to Miami. But uh, um, it's the weather. Everybody. The first question about everyone asks me is, you know, "What is a, an Australian doing in um, Toronto?" But Toronto has been, as you mentioned before, is an amazing community, and it's been an amazing place to to bring up a family. So I uh, really um, am proud of um, you know being part of the um, Toronto community, and I think that there are so many people in Toronto that set an example for the rest of uh, the Klal role. Sadoka, I think Toronto has become famous. The Reichmans uh, set the standard so high to be able to give and give back and help Yiddish guy globally that uh, we're all living in, in their shadow. And I want to do get into the tzedakah, how you view charity.
0: One more question as it relates to business. I imagine people do come over to you for business-related advice, guidance. A lot of our listeners are in their 20s and 30s and either are working in a business or on a new business venture. Is there a common theme to the advice that you give to people in their 20s, 30s, 40s that are starting a business, involved in business, something that you think people are missing the boat on that is a core piece to a successful
1: person's journey? So the first obvious question is, do you want to be an employee or an employer? That's the beginning of talking to people. So some people, obviously if they've been in coil for many years, limits them slightly sometimes because they have a large family already. but um, it depends on one's profile as once I heard, do you want to eat well or sleep well? And a lot of times, you know being an entrepreneur is not not always fun. A lot of people view, being your own businessman as, I'm in charge and I'm in control. Well, the truth is you never really are. First of all, the financial is in control and in charge. And if you're not um, reporting to your your boss, you're reporting to the major clients or the banks. So you've always got somebody else you have to report to. So you have to know your personality. Um, some people just can't tolerate the idea of you know being an employee. Find the, uh, you know, very grating, very difficult. And some people, um, on the contrary, um, the risk and the and the effect on, on the individual coming home and you bring the business home, you know, and you wish you can switch off on Shabbos, but it's very hard after six days of uh, five days of working to come home and suddenly switch off your brain. With an employee, you can come home, you can hopefully, well, today with um, cell phones, I mean, it makes it a bit more difficult to switch off. But that's the first decision that a person has to make. Don't just assume, you know, I'll go into business. It sounds great. There are a lot of risks. You can fail. There are a lot of people that do fail. And I think really it's speaking to people and trying to understand and have them realize what they want to do. There are a lot of common threads. First of all, I find that people are willing to help if you ask. And there are a lot of people out there if you talk to them and you have a specific industry you're interested in that will explain to you what the risks are, what you can do, speak to as many people as possible. Don't just speak to me. But there are a lot of successful business people out there. First of all, look at your industry. There was a person that came to me just two days ago talking about a specific area in the construction industry. And the, and the first comment I made to him was, well, there was an Army Magazine article of a person does the same thing in New York call him up, speak to him, listen to him, and he'll, I'm sure, he'll sit down with you and maybe let you sit into, in his business for a week or two, learn what the pitfalls are, learn what the strengths of the industry are, learn how you can grow. So speak to as many people as possible and realize that success is not overnight. Yes, we hear a lot of people with the unicorns and in a certain, in the industry that have become, you know, billionaires by the time they hit 20. But those are the exceptions and very specific industries. I always say the example is if somebody's ever been in a casino, you hear the bells ringing of people making money all the time. But what you don't hear is the silence of people losing money. And there are so many people in the industry losing money, but you don't hear about those. You only hear of the successes. So um, realize that being an entrepreneur is challenging, Um, but try to reach out. Um, Once you've learned your interest and you think you understand it, there are a lot of people that will help you if you ask either financing in Toronto, we're trying to obviously with TJN, creating a network to be able to help people. But I constantly have people coming to me. And again, a lot of people would assume, you know, why will he talk to me? But nothing ventured, nothing gained. I think that's part of being a good entrepreneur, not being afraid, not being shy, being able to overcome the resistance. And um, and the other thing is, I mean, I can literally, uh, there's several things, but a good business plan. I, I tell people develop a good business plan, not so much to provide to a bank, which is important, but if you're going to inquire on funding from anybody or from a bank, a business plan is necessary. Budget, because even though you say, how do I know I'm starting off in business, but you have to have a plan. If you have a plan, then you have the chance of succeeding. Develop a business plan, develop a strategy and go after it and just realize that whatever you expect, it's not going to happen exactly that way. Get business, whatever you can in the beginning and then focus. Um, and then when the person starts off a business, they say, well, I'm just going to do that. Well, the specific item. I more or less use the, use the expression, you know, use a shotgun approach. You take business from wherever you can to pay the bills. That's um, my advice. And look after your suppliers. It'll come up later on, but um, I never had in my business, no matter how large it became, we never had an accounts payable. Because when I got an invoice, I paid it. It was very simple. Um, the old-fashioned way. And no matter how big we were, I could have developed an accounts payable and deferred payment and, and had more money sitting in the bank. But I always, people knew that if they billed us, they got paid. And um, look after your suppliers. Obviously, not everyone, you don't have the cash flow. Communicate with your suppliers. Don't avoid them. Communicate with them. Talk to them. Communication. And that comes to also the staffing. I think a lot of people learn how to start off a business, but then they don't know how to take it to the next level. That's another another conversation. But you're asking about people starting off in business. That's phenomenal. I, I think we could probably break down
0: the eight different suggestions you just had into its own chapters and, and build that out. Um, so many different follow-up questions. And I know our, our core topic here is Tadaka slash charity. Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of what you said is therapeutic for people, especially as it relates to paying people on time. And, and you know, what we've learned from Rabbi Gladstein and how part of the reason Yaakov Avinu was so successful materialistically was because he was on time with his payments. He didn't cheat love on And thinking that someone is going to pay someone later and reap the reward, the interest on the money in the bank or whatever it is, there are no shortcuts. And I, I think that's a topic that comes up over and over again. And,
1: you know, as a business owner, it's therapeutic for me to hear that. I find, personally, I find the the worst part of that strategy is, because what happens is, if you wait long enough, usually the suppliers will negotiate and agree a reduced payment. So, if you hold off to 100, 120 days, and they're starving for money, you know, I'll give you off 20%, but please send me in the money. That, to me, is straight out... Canaver I don't know if it's Canaver, maybe it's even Gazela because you're doing it so obviously, but the person is aware of it. But I, I just find that it is absolutely unacceptable. But the majority of people are honest and good. Yes, and yes. So. We'll be right back to this week's episode.
0: But first, a message from me. I don't want to say a message from Twillery because this is my message. They didn't tell me what to say. But I am wearing one of their shirts. If you can't see, if you're listening on the audio platforms, this is the official term that I made up. Is a super comfy long sleeve polo shirt. I love them. I do not want to take it off at night, and many nights I don't. I sleep in it. Now you'd be like, "Ew, you sleep in your shirt." It's super comfortable. It legitimately is. They even have them in full button downs. So if you want to wear a white shirt, but you don't want to. Jeopardize the comfortability of a polo-like shirt. It's super comfortable. I love them. I have it in dark gray, uh, blue. I have them in white. They make short sleeve, long sleeve. And get this in the winter when you go outside, but it's not super cold. You don't want to wear a coat. This is what I do. I wear this, this vest. You can look on their website. It does a lot. But it's not a coat, it's a vest. And it's comfortable. You zip it up, you feel like it's giving you a hug. And when you don't want to wear a coat, you don't want to wear a jacket, you want something to keep your torso warm, it's called a vest. They didn't invent the vest, but they've perfected it. Visit twillery.com slash kosher money. Look at everything they have. They're running a New Year sale. You're probably listening to this in three years from now. I'm sure they have a whole lot more now tailored for performance. That's Twillery and it could be yours at a great price. And for those saying, wow, it is a lot of money or it costs more than other vests, that could be true. And if you're not in the market, don't. But if you're looking for something comfortable, that's also durable, right? You don't want to buy something and not have it last and then have to buy another one. I used to buy these shoes on Amazon that were 30 bucks. I had to buy them every three months. So instead of buying a $120 pair, I bought four $30 pairs because it wore out. So you make the decision, durability, take it all into equation, and maybe you'll make Twillery yours. Now back to this week's episode. Let's talk Sadaka. So after you sold the company, how you gave out Sadaka and approached it, did it have to change given that? You were giving to more institutions. You've had a method your entire life and how you went about it. So it didn't have to change
1: drastically in terms of the methodology and things of that nature. I think the amount of zeros after the checks changed. Um, If I would have had my my choice, my, my druthers, I would have rather not had public the sale and the amount it was sold for. A lot of people sell the businesses and people are not aware of how much still sold? But it was sold to a public company and uh, became public record. But it's nothing I'm ashamed of. And uh, I believe my responsibility um, just grew. And responsibility to Claudius Role, responsibility to give back to the community. Um, I always felt I don't think it suddenly changed after I sold the business. I think the first thing that I really see it as, to dog, I suppose, was hiring Yiddish people. And that's something I I really felt that in my business I could have offered the had people lower paying, had a lot more difficult to terminate people. But I always felt the obligation to hire Jewish people and also hire trades. Do whatever you can to hire all the trades to be Jewish trades. So that's I think where the Sadoka started off. But I think the really started off what you see at home. My father, was a successful business, but he was always known to be extremely giving. My father was was strongly Zionistic and yet gave a lot of money to Tolda which I found a bit, um, bit unusual, but my father just felt for the other Jew, the other people, giving loans to people, helping people out, helping out Rabbonim. And I think it's the example that set, makes you feel good. And I think it was just a continuity of it. I don't think anything changed suddenly, you know, after I sold the business. What did change is that I suddenly had the ability to make a difference, to support, to give back to Toronto, give back to the community. I feel that what I've tried to do, first of all, obviously, I, I do believe in supporting trying to give back to Toronto, and try to, first of all, give back to your community. But there are a lot of places um, that I feel are important. So first of all, I tried to give to us, not just choose the schools that my kids go to, but realize that there's a whole slew of schools from going from right, going more to the left. But every school needs the other one below it. Because if you don't have the school below it, that means that you have to take girls into the school or boys that you'd rather not have together with your children. But support as many of them as possible. Obviously, focus on the ones that you feel, but give to as many of the schools as possible. I've always, Kinnok has been very important to me. Um, Also, social services. We have a Toronto Care Fund, which helps give money to everybody throughout the community. We have a lot of amazing um, initiatives. And Toronto Jewish Network, which started as H3, and which sort of, as you say, involved, is another one of them which uh, I'm just so proud of. So I'm, I believe giving back. And then give back Akar to the schools, the yeshivas that you went to. Give to the schools and the yeshivas that your children learn in, that your children are benefiting from, and that your grandchildren are benefiting from. When you're giving that check to
0: the schools and yeshivas that you and your families have gone to, are you an active participant in saying or advising how you'd like the money to be used? Or is it hakar satov, here's the check, and how you
1: use it is equally important to me without any advice? There generally tends to be two different types of giving. There's usually, let's say, for example, um, they're building a a new building. So there you tend to earmark the money and they'll ask you, do you want to give a lobby? Do you want to give, uh, do you want to give their own or do you want to give rooms? And, and you work out what sort of you want in your budget, which is a lot of people are ready to do that. But the difficult part is to giving to the constant maintenance, the upkeep, because it's not really earmarked. It's going to the school. You don't have any control to direct it. You can't have a plaque up there saying, you know, you gave that amount of money. You're just giving like everybody else. So that is sometimes the challenges for a lot of the schools, the regular upkeep of the school, ensuring that the school exists. And that's, I think both are just as important. The first one is a lot easier because you can see something tangible and you can touch it and feel it and and see it. I would imagine the easiest thing to do is to write a check, right? And there are quite
0: a few wealthy people across the world that would simply write the check and move on with their date. How important is it to be an active participant and be involved, spend time with organizations
1: that are important to you, guide them, things of that nature? So I'm on several boards. I think uh, you're correct. Um, Well, for some people, it's easier to write the checks. Some people don't even do that, unfortunately. Truth is, I think today there's an amazing, uh, among the younger generation, the concept of giving. And I think in the generation I grew up and I saw some Holocaust survivors, it's very, very hard to judge people who went through such you know difficult situations where the money ends up being a bit of a security. But the younger people are giving. A lot of people will find it a lot easier to write out a check. I agree with you. It's definitely a lot easier. But the hardest part for me is to get involved and having to call people up to give money. I hate it. It's not a pleasant task. and It's not at all. But I think the mitzvah of actually getting other people to give is, is even greater than the one of writing a check. But only even getting other people to give. Becoming involved in Moisad. I think the Boi gave me a koyach to be uh, a doer. That was always my mother. You know, she used to say, you know, don't play around, do. I think it was the old school, you know, ethic of getting things done. And I think that's that's been my strength, to actually get things done. If I'm involved in the board. When we talk, what have we concluded? How do we move forward? How do we arrange the next meeting? To move things forward. And I think that's very important in ways to need also. And so I try to get involved as much as possible in the actual doing of it. A question always people ask me is, um, what do you get the most satisfaction from? It's interesting. So it's a few things, but one of the things that I'm very, very proud of is the shul I dove in. It. So it's a shul that was one of the original shuls, the Asseta Torah of Toronto, the teacher of Daven there, the Reichmans used to Daven there. But I saw the Shawl sort of slowly. It was an original Hasidish, right from Hasidish shtibel, we can call it. And over the years, the shawl was dying. And I basically have managed, together with other, some of the younger people, to revive it. And it's become today one of the most vibrant shawls in Toronto. It's very easy to, you know, just to leave it and move over to the new shawl. It's a lot easier for younger people, I understand them, starting a new shul, starting the shul that fits them, but to be able to take something which is dying and and rebuild it, and um, it's not the same shul, it's a different shul, it's maybe more yeshivish, haimish, we can call it, it's a different shul, but so what, you have to go with what the people want, And but I'm proud of that. I look at it and I see the vibrancy and the Torah that's being learned there, and the people that appreciate the shul and how it looks. And, and we're still in the middle of, um, we're not completed, but we've done quite a bit. And, uh, you know, working and working with the younger people, getting involved in the details. We can include the raise it link on the bottom
0: of the screen if you want. We can you know, get the fundraiser out to the world. But, but that, that leads me to this next question. So yes, helping your community, helping the yeshivas, but you're approached by people across the world, right? Ukraine, you've gotten involved with. Eretz Yisrael, communities we've never even heard of, how do you balance the two and take it seriously in a way that, do you want to make a meaningful difference outside? And I know you're very involved in the OU and the different applications of Torah
1: um, spreading and things of that. How how do you balance and look at all of that? It's a challenge. There isn't an easy answer. Do you want to have your, your name? I can give a huge check to one institution and build up a huge building have my name plastered all over it? Yes, I could do that. I I, I think that's my challenge. That's minus soyan, but it's also you hope you have Siata Dishmaya that will direct you to to send the money to the right places. So one of the important things that I found that you know that it changed sort of after I sold the business that there were so many people approaching me that I ended up getting a stocker, um, Moti Meyer. He's been amazing in the sense to First of all, coordinate the meetings, arrange for the payment, where it gets sent, a lot of the difficulty, the the information, where to get the check, how to deliver it, who, what, when, a lot of the work that goes around writing a check and giving a check, helping me out with that and helping me plan and budget and work out now what I gave last year and be able to help me um, coordinate it. But it it is a challenge. There is no easy. I, I think I I told you like giving back to, to yeshivas, chesed. There are so many wonderful organizations in so many places. Eretz Yisrael is obviously close to my heart. Um, Lakewood and uh, you know the major yeshivas. There's just so many amazing things. But again, I, I just I believe it's shiata to be able to give to the right places. And another point uh, I want to make is obviously, like I was saying with my business. Get somebody to help you out if you can. Get somebody to organize the tzedakus. Get somebody to make see what you gave the previous year a lot of the time, making sure when you make a pledge. A lot of Moises are very, very happy to get a pledge over five years, ten years. Obviously, they prefer one or two years. But a lot of people you can't afford. And if you want to give a large amount, the Moises is very, very happy to be able to get a pledge over five years then get somebody to organize it. And if you give it in a certain time, then make sure you give it the same time next year. Have somebody help you. Have a separate account where you put the money into. Control it. And don't let it be something that you just push off and you don't want to be involved in. Get involved in it, plan and uh, budget. And if you make a pledge, and if you can't meet the pledge, call up. Don't ignore people and don't just hide from the moised and hope they'll call and call and don't answer the calls. Call them up. Moises understand they're human. I'd love to, you know, I can't come through this year. Um, business has been very difficult, but please, can I defer it for another year or another two years? People understand and people are very appreciative if you give them the heads up. But the worst is when you have a pledge and you keep on pushing it off and dragging it off. So don't do that Organize your life, organize your tzedakus because it's one of the most important things that you do. So if you're in a business, you organize your business and you have a secretary, do that for your tzedakus also.
0: We'll be right back to this week's episode. But first, a message from the Donors Fund. I use it. Okay? I signed up. Why? Because I want easy charity giving. Think about it like QuickBooks for your charity, right? You sign up, donorsfundorg slash koshermoney. It's absolutely free. And from there, you're amazed. You log on, Sleek mobile app, or if you're on a desktop, Sleek desktop platform. It is phenomenal. You're able to hop around, look at all the different charities, 1.5 million. You can give it as easy as sending a Zelle. It's probably easier. You know when you have to add someone on Zelle, you have to clunkily... Add the information in. This is super. It's all there. Practically every charity you can think of. If it's not there, it's easy to add a charity. And at the end of the year, a single click. All your receipts in one place. There is so much more. I have a limited amount of time to share with you. Probably about 13 things I want to share with you about the donors fund. I'm happy more and more people are signing up. It's the start of a new year. Charity giving should be easy, fun, and clean. It is phenomenal. The donorsfund.org slash koshermoney. Link is in the show notes. Get started. I want to hear from you. What do you like about it? If you just signed up, tell me. If you're hesitant to sign up, tell me why. Hi at livinglachaim.com. I want to hear from you. Tell me your thoughts. Let's do this together. 2024, I give you a blessing, a bracha, that you should give the most charity you've ever given until now. And now back to this week's episode. The fact that a lot of these campaigns are now public in which you can see the amounts that are being donated, it's wild to see that when the call comes together, these more micro-type donations of 1836 and hundreds if not thousands of people pile into these unique campaigns, it adds up to a tremendous amount of money. What's your message to those who are giving their mycer. It, it may not be a lot of money in the grand scheme of things, but they feel like, can I actually make a difference?
1: I think everybody has to understand that every penny you give makes a difference. I, I think not only is the giving the fact that other people see you give, so you're automatically, it has a trickle-down effect. By you giving, other people seeing you give, it all adds up. And we're part of, um, you know, part of Chloe's role. Making a difference doesn't mean, as I said, giving a huge donation and have your name on front of the building. Yeah, sometimes it feels good, but that's not what it is. Making a difference is being part of the clow, joining in and doing what you can according to your financial ability. And, and everyone has to realize what their position is and what your responsibilities are relative to your wealth. We're all different and everyone has different and different responsibilities and you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, am I giving nice Am I really giving the amount? And and then that's all you can do. Vinoshan doesn't want from you what you can't do. He wants you to do what you can with, with what you're given. And for some people it's probably not always money, right? They can roll up their sleeves
0: and put the time in and work closely with organizations. People have a lot to offer, I've seen, that and they don't have necessarily the financial means, it can provide a tremendous amount of value, whether it's accounting guidance, helping a, an organization with their books. That offloads a lot of the paid services that an organization like that needs.
1: Now, I agree with you, but the tendency is for a lot of people not to get involved. A lot of people feel that once they get involved, it'll take their time and responsibility. And yes, they're right, but that's what we're here for. To be able to do that and to help in different ways. And I think that's the responsibility. And there are usually, they tend to be within a community, a group of people, and they're constantly the same people that everyone's going to. You know, they always say, if you want a job done, give it to a busy person. I think I see I see the same in Cloud, but I wish more people would step up and realize that they can donate in a lot of different ways. How does Bincy
0: and Heitner respond when he makes a call and you're trying to rally the troops and the person says, I don't feel comfortable getting involved. It's not my style. I'll write the check, but but to, to get my hands dirty, leave me out of it.
1: What emotions go through here, uh, Maureen? Well, unfortunately, I had an individual that said it to me two years ago. He hardly talks to me anymore, unfortunately. But I, he made that comment to me, and, uh, and I, I was like flabbergasted. I said, comfortable? What's comfort got to do with it? I said, you aren't meant to be comfortable you're meant to do what you can. We're not created here to be comfortable. We're meant to challenge ourselves and do what is not comfortable. It pains me, and uh, sometimes I wish um, I would respond less, and so that's soy and You know, you have to be able to, and and soy-in also, you have, you know, it's talk as a lot of People come, they say things that it's painful or insulting, or um, whatever you give, they want a lot more, and Unfortunately, a lot of times it's like a game. And my understanding is as every time I sit down is to hold myself back. A lot of times, you know, I'll come in and they won't say what I gave last year. And so I'll say, okay, I'm giving this amount this year. Oh, but last year you gave this. So, so why are you telling me now? Because what you're doing is you're gambling. You're playing a game here. You're saying, if he gives me more, you're not going to say last year you gave me that. You'll, you'll accept it. But if I give you less, you're going to say last year. So I don't appreciate being gambling with me. I give what I can, but it's part of the nesoyin of having to give, and Hashem, I've had siyat t'rishmaya in giving. Is there a support group, as silly as that sounds, where you talk to
0: other Balit Sadaka and some of the challenges are unique to, to a group like that in that the guilt that you're describing or the guilt that people may put on you is somewhat unique, where I could imagine it's challenging when your head hits the pillow at night, you maybe you you second guess yourself and hey should i have gotten in another direction or the decision is being at peace with the decisions that you've made and you know tomorrow's another day and you continue building on that
1: my personality isn't one that um dwells on things i'm the type of person i tend to if i get upset i get upset and i sort of i move on but it is for me it's a it's a nesoyan and my nesoyan is to is to keep my mouth shut and not say what i want to and and when I do say it, I regret it afterwards and I'll end up calling up the person and apologizing for saying things that were better left unsaid. You know, um, a lot of times people view a donation as like a mortgage coming back there, but you gave me last year. Uh, you know, I'm trying to help you. I, you know, have, look how many people are standing here. I have to give and, you know, try to But honestly, there are so many nice people out there. There's Yes, unfortunately, there are ones that, uh, you know, spoil it for you, but there are so many. Khoshev and the schus of seeing so many important people is a brok in its own right. How do you view Hakar Sato Not that you're expecting it,
0: but when an organization gives you a handwritten letter versus a nice silver menorah, is there something more heartfelt and appreciated by a Balai when it is a thoughtful response versus, hey, we'll take a 5% of the gift that you've generously given and we'll
1: put your name on a cover, and here you go. I think the thoughtful ones are a lot more important. I made a Achnos' Torah in Kol Torah where I learned. I also made Achnos' Seif Torah. I also built the on there. And Rabbi Hobman from Long Beach Yeshiva came to the event. And he flew back. He was there and he flew back that night The next morning, I had a handwritten letter from him, which he had had actually typed out letter. It was handwritten by him, which he gave to somebody to type out right away after he landed. That meant so much to me. It was such a a moving letter. He wrote from the heart. He actually writes beautifully. And uh, that touched me. So, um, yes, thinking and writing and putting a few words down Yeah, it's a challenge from all moistness today, and the moistness that I'm involved in, how far do you go? I I think people today try to be original and try to be different, and um, it's not just um, buying something expensive. Try to do something creative. It's so challenging in today's time to to be able to come up with um, new novelties and uh, new things, but I I think the ones that are with uh, the feeling and and they call up and they and they follow up with another message and it's the contact which, which I can I I think I appreciate a lot more. You're sending up a follow up email and messages and those stick with me a lot more. A lot of the campaigns
0: are spending a tremendous amount of money on marketing dollars. When you're involved in a campaign and part of the push is print ads and banners and dinner events, do you look at that as? That's just a necessary evil. This is part of doing business. Every business needs some level of marketing. And yes, we're spending a percentage of that on marketing, but it allows us to raise even more money. Or no, organizations should do away with the the marketing and
1: more of every dollar will go towards the organization. Unfortunately, in today's time, day and age, we've bombarded so many ways. Once upon a time, it used to only be by mail. Now it's through email, it's through messaging, it's through websites, it's through social media. So whatever one can do to get the attention of the people has to be done. It's part of the cost of doing business. You have to be able to reach the people. Today's, at least um, with the technology available today, allows you to leverage and reach way more people than you could. A lot of times sending a letter and didn't reach the people the same way some of these charity campaigns. I think it's part of being a moist. It's like, um, you know, it's a cost of doing business and I think it's important to reach out and let people who are giving even the small amounts of basically feel their dollar is insignificant suddenly count. So I'm I'm a big believer in the the use of them, the charity campaigns. Unfortunately, I think the... um, Traditional parlor meeting has sort of gone. You know, the, the you know the, that's used to be the way um, people would fundraise. That someone would come in town, to the parlor meeting. But I think usually it's just a stake to it, have the the rosh Hashiva, to come into town and approach beforehand or afterwards. But it's very difficult to get people and meaningfully, um, especially at yeshiva, which none of my kids learned. None of my kids went to. It's an out-of-town yeshiva, so it, it's very hard to, you know, to, to get excited, but obviously Rosh Yeshiva will come in town, would like to meet. It's challenging. It's uh, So you have to be creative. What about dinners? Dinners
0: cost potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars, food. A lot of the people that are coming are have given donations already. Is that necessary, or do you think we're at a time where that will slowly
1: pivot away? No, I, I think dinners are important. First of all, dinner dinners bring people together, brings people of similar beliefs and understanding. So if it's a yeshiva, suddenly people will meet up again with the people they don't happen to see living in Lake or living in Muncie, living in five towns, living in Canada. So suddenly everyone gets together. So it's a way of um, being Machazik people, way of meeting the um, principles, the rosh yeshivas. Um, and featuring certain people that are involved with the mitzvah and are doing a lot of good, and uh, that should be featured. So for me only, it's more difficult because I happen to be in Canada. I have to travel to the dinners. The problem is, uh, I think more so, uh, the challenge isn't so much dinners; it's weddings. And Borah uh, Hashem, Kanai and there should be many, many more. It's you know the time and uh, it takes to to go to a simcha and participate. I think the U.S they have that challenge. We don't have that challenge here in Canada because we don't have that many, but it's a pleasure to get together with people. But I think dinners should continue and dinners are important.
0: We'll be right back to this week's episode, but first a message from Kol El Chabad. Let me read to you a letter that was written.
1: Screams fill the ear, but
0: for the first time all month, it's not because of the terror attack. Quote, it's the first day in a month that my children are smiling, free, laughing, and happy, one mother said with tears. And because of that, it's the first time I can let go a little too. This was written by a mother whose family survived the attack. And she writes, hundreds of children run around freely. Parents are watching with a smile. For some, it's the first real one in all month, in the month following the attack. It's an afternoon to play, to enjoy, and just to be kids again. A few weeks after the attack, Kol Chabad partnered with Nitzor to rent out Magic Cast, an amusement park, and give free admission to families displaced from the Gaza envelope. Stories like this are chronicled here in their publication. But more than that, it tells you of stories of survival, how people have rallied with Kol Chabad to help people across Israel who were displaced, traumatized, needed all sorts of therapy, And food, shelter, but even more than that, to live like they used to, right? To have some sort of normalcy within their lives, and that's what Kol Chabad is doing. There are three hundred thousand Israelis who left their jobs to fight, but who's fighting for them? And the answer is Kol Chabad. So, if you have the ability to give some money could be a small amount, could be a large amount, visit kolachabad.org slash kosher money. Link is in the show notes. Give what you can. This might be your 25th time hearing it. You haven't given yet, but take the time, give something. It is eternal. That is the reward for something like this. Now back to this week's episode. When someone comes in and introduces you to an organization or an effort, How much research are you doing into who that person is, what their campaign is about, or is part of what you do intentionally overlooking that
1: because this is someone in need and we're going to trust them blindly? My father, Oliver Shalom, always used to say, in business, it's Ms. Blaben van Ganoff, which means every business you have to allow for, for people that will steal in retail, they call it shrinkage. In business, they call it bad debts or doubtful debts. So people will, will not pay bills. or you stop doing business because of that. There are people who are dishonest. So I'll stop giving Docker because of it. Most of the people are honest. You hope you have a siyata deshmay that a boynashalim sends them to you. And I have to tell you, a lot of times when people come with some of the stories, I turn to Marty afterwards and I say, I hope he's lying. Because it's it's depressing to some of the stories you hear. It it really is depressing. So I try to focus on the good ones. There are so many of them. Don't focus on on, on trying to you know do super badikus. You know you don't want the line looking too much into what you do. Why are you being badik somebody so so to such an extent? So you have to go. You have siyate You have to go with your gut. Different things resonate for different people. It's interesting how Marty and I, we, we tend to you know talk to each other afterwards. What do you feel and how much should I give to this specific individual? Is it a repetitive, is it a one-time event? Is it something that you know, I can make a difference because they're struggling? Is it for a wedding, for a house? Whatever it is, trying to understand the nature of it, the repetitive of something, but go with your gut. As somebody who clearly comes from
0: a family that lives intentionally with, with an understanding of what's important, how do you view giving that over to your children? I know your your children are now across many different communities, Askan in, in yeshivas, working together with yeshivas they've been to. How did you educate them that this is something that should be important
1: to them? The most important thing, you know, don't do as I say, do as I do, and learn by example. I, I don't think it's something, if if a person sees that a father is involved and um, wants to give back, then your children want to emulate you. They want to be able to do the same thing. Now, being Baruch Hashem, I have children that are following in my footsteps, ask on in their own right, in their own communities. Uh, that I'm very, very proud of. So I, I think it's trying to set an example that your children should be proud and and want to be able to emulate. When you think about
0: miser, I, up until a few years, didn't take it seriously. And as I leaned more into it, I've seen brachos from Hashem. And more and more people I speak to find themselves in a similar situation. Have you seen success stories people that leaned into giving more tzedakah and it transformed their life people have come to you for advice and how to give charity
1: my sir, young old something that sticks out to you has given us teriyag mitzvahs we have a lot of mitzvahs to do there's always a story that my father used to oliver sean used to tell and uh it was of the the person that went to shul on Rosh Hashanah, and the rabbina was there saying, Asa be'shvil Sasha. He was very moved by the speech, and after Yontem, he went and gave exactly a tenth, calculated to the penny how much he was worth, gave away a tenth of the money. Unfortunately, for several years going after that, he struggled with panosa, but 15 years later, he ended up becoming a huge oisha. and he ended up coming back to the same shul, and the rabbina was giving the same speech, "Ase be'shvil Shatisasha. And after the davening, he went up to the to the room and said to he said to him, you know, I want to tell you, our financial him is honest, but he's not punctual. I don't see it um, like a vending machine that you push buttons and it comes out. I, I matter of fact, I, I don't like it when people come to me. I just had one recently, and uh, was telling me I was so and so person gave three hundred dollars last year, and this year they're giving us ten thousand because they saw they saw tremendous success. I, I think, you know, look, Reboi does keep a chesh. Shlom does help. He does give back. I mean, he's given back to me in my in my wildest dreams. In the Gomorrah, you see Tanoim and Amorim try to say, you know, Bishwum you know, what, what did you do? I think they had the ability to, to see and read into their actions and understand the cause and effect. But I don't think we do. And I think it's wrong for a person to try to, yes, Reboi gives back, you know, Reboi you know, basically will give you. But you have to do things, you have to do your mitzvahs. Reboi will give back, but it's not a vending machine. You need Ziyat d'ishmaya, and Reboi will pay back. So I, I want to end off talking about,
0: I know you're passionate about the OU's, all Daf and daf yomi in general. Many people listening here, I've fallen on and off the daf yomi bandwagon What's your message to people as to the world we're living in now in 2024? There's access on these apps. Um, ArtsGirl School has, every day you turn around, there's another Safer that's put out, the ability to learn. What, what's your message to people, you know, putting money aside in terms of learning and growing? Um, how has Dafyomi Yomi
1: changed your life or the people you've met along the way that are growing Torah? It's interesting The Dafi Yomi, I used to take my children to the Dafei Yomi, the CUMM. And I wanted my children to see the Maimed of the Torah, to see the Gdoyalim have the opportunity living in Toronto. So I took them to um, several of the Siamashas. I think it was two or three back. Obviously, it goes through the border, goes through customs control, and the person asks you, you know, where you're going. So I said, I'm going to this large event um, for the completion of, you know, learning of all the Masechtas. I don't know why I had to open my mouth and and say what I was doing, but, you know, this event we're all coming together and Madison Stadium, I forgot where it was. This non-Jewish lady said, did you complete it also? And uh, that was a, sort of the point that said, you know what, when, when someone else asks me that question, that must be somebody up there trying to tell me that I should be doing it. I think it's important for a today's day and age where we're also pulled by so many directions that you have to do things, and excuse the pun, religiously. You have to set aside a time. And there's no reason why with technology available today, whether you're traveling, whether you're in the car, uh, whether you're in the train, um, whether you're at home, that you can't do dafeiomi. And I've been involved together with Jakob Eisenberger. Both of us got quite excited with the Old Daf app, and then we, we got involved with Old Parsha, um, and now there's the Old Mishnah, and there's, it's sort of amazing, and Old Daf, everybody can choose the style they want, the speed that they want. If the people speak to slowly, crank up the speed. But, you know, the how, how deep, how, you know, what you prefer, and there's no excuse. So um, they're powerful tools. They are very, very powerful tools to allow people to learn whatever they want to on all different topics and different levels. I've always believed in leveraging technology. I did the same in my business, and uh, I think we as Yeetan have to do the same thing. We have to leverage the world we're in because our time is taken by so many different things that I spend the time efficiently and use apps which help you do it. Sure. I I only recently learned about
0: Bitbean, which is a fully Jewish company building out various softwares. And it's not like it was 20 years ago. We have not just the funding, but the technological capabilities to build out apps like these. And it's tremendous. And speaking of speeding up, I I have a tendency to speak slowly. I find people 2x when I'm talking, they run through it. But in closing, what's a question I didn't ask? What's something that you'd like to end off with, something that you're passionate about, something we didn't cover. I'm sure many people will have follow-up questions, and I suppose, uh, Mati, we could put in your
1: email address if someone has a follow-up question, but something we didn't cover. Well, I don't know if you didn't cover anything. I, I suppose it's something that maybe I said several times, but you need Tziat Maya for Tsadoka. And I think a good example of it is something um is Tferes Yerechmiel, Shlem um, of Evel Shustles Yeshiva. A lot of people assume that I had children who went to Torah to Mimah, and were with him, but none of my children ever went to Torah to Mema or had any shayfas to Reb But he was in town once, and uh, his brother, Abdovid, called me up and said, Ziyan, my brother's going to be in town, he wants to start a new yeshiva. Would you like to have him for Shabbos meal? I said, well, pleasure. And... It was just, he just blew me away. I'd never seen an individual that so warm and such a big Tamil Chokhem and so caring and so down to earth. It, it just blew me away. And uh, I therefore gave a major donation to be able to have the yeshiva named um, after my father Yerachmiel Mordechon, Yerachmiel. So it's called it, Yerachmiel. And I have it, my youngest son is mm-hmm. named after him also. So it was a source to be able to. So it's Siaatat I was there at the right place at the right time, and today I suppose the amount I gave, uh, it would I would it was relatively. I mean, it was an important amount, but um, what it's achieved and what he's done and uh, the name that the yeshiva has uh, has today is tremendous. So you do have siyate d'shma'ya. That was very very important to me. And again, giving back to me um, kol Torah was you know changed my life. So for me, I am still very very attached to yeshiva. As I said, I gave them the to say for Torah. I gave one of the buildings. Now they add it onto the building. But to me, you have to appreciate and, and have an, a connection with yeshiva. I think it's a lot harder for the American boys to go through multiple yeshivas or yeshiva sivta. I came from Australia and then, wow, came into a building where Gedeulen were walking around of Zaman and Orbach and Dalia Eisman, you know, my Schlesinger or, you know, um, Baruch, um, Baruch Veispeka, Rabbi Shua Noivit. These are people that you know. Shmir Shabbos Kelchosa, That was just uh, allowed me to see some of the the greatest people of my time, and the so. I definitely feel giving back. Everybody tried to you know where see where you got, see where the the maestas that helped you get where you where you did, and make sure you become part of them give back to them, and help them continue to grow and expand. Beautiful. I spent a Shabbos
0: in Kol with friends, so thank you for the building. Appreciate it. You no, know, it's a pleasure. It's a beautiful mindset. Nice thank you so much for your time, Rebention you Heitner. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to a special episode of Kosher Money, and our thanks to the Heitner family and group for their time and insights that'll undoubtedly help so many Bezras Hashem. Give, give, give. Those who give often receive much more than the receiver. So follow in the footsteps of Mr. Heitner and others. Become a giver. If you have comments, feedback that you'd like to share with Ben C. and Heitner, you can reach his team at info at We'll put it in the show notes. If you listen to this on an audio only platform, there's bonus video stats. And of course, a visual of my average to below average face on YouTube. Be sure to subscribe and like you like that one and like wherever you're getting this content. A special shout out to Mutti Meyer who helped make this episode a reality. If you're in the market for promotional items, uniforms for your business organization, consider head to toe uniforms, head to toe promos. Links in the show notes, check it out. Send my best regards to Mati. Another special shout out to the city of Toronto. I visited twice in the last 13 months. They have their annual Toronto Jewish network conference, which is an awesome day of learning. I said it like Torontonian it helps empower the next generation. And I found Toronto to be very welcoming. It has a soft spot in my heart. I don't know what's in the water up there, but keep putting it in. Speaking of Toronto. Did you know that Living Smarter Jewish's Zevi Wallman was originally from Toronto? Yep, it's a fun fact I read on his Godolem card. If you, <laughs> Yaakov likes that one, if you or you, someone you know needs financial resources, guidance, stop what you're doing. Click on the OU's LivingSmarterJewish.org link in the show notes. Email them info at LivingSmarterJewish.org. They have what you're looking for advisors, debt, credit scores, so much more. Thank you to Twillery, delicious, durable clothing. Thank you to the Donors Fund. It's what charity should look like in 2024. And Kol Chabad, helping Israel's neediest, especially at a time like this. Support our sponsors. Give more charity to those in need. And now a special tip for those who listen to the end of my outro. Rabbi Naftali Horowitz gave a fire speech last week in Toronto. Absolute fire. It's about 30 minutes. I'm going to link to the Torah Anytime site, which I happen to love, created by Bitbean. Shout out. Naftali delivered this speech at Toronto's Jewish Network. It discusses helping others. He was vulnerable. He was raw. He was amazing. Enough from me. It's time for you to get back to your life. I hope this week's episode was helpful and enhances your life, as do many of our Living L'Chaim shows do. A special thank you to my friend Yoni Schwartz, who joined me in Toronto and made this episode and so many of our episodes special from the production side. Thank you, Yoni. And now in the words of my nine-year-old, see ya. Maybe one day I'll want to be a... Peace. Living L'chaim.